What is up, podcast people? This is Talk To Me, episode 12. On this episode, I talked to Jason T. Smith, formerly of the show Thrift Hunters that was on Spike TV. He now has his online show Thrifty Business with JNA, and he also runs the Thrifting Board on Facebook. We're going to change the tempo a little bit this time. We're not going to talk to a musician. We're not going to talk to a rock star. Well, he is a rock star in his own world. In the thrift world. I still do flea markets. I still do eBay occasionally. I've always been into thrifting. Like I go into on the episode. My grandparents on both sides of my family. Uh, have been in some form or fashion in the thrift world. Aunts and uncles that way. Uh, I'm going to dedicate this episode to my late aunt Marilyn. Marilyn was a wonderful person. Wonderful thrifter. And just all around. Just a ray of sunshine. So. Not to get too sad and somber, because I know she would want to be celebrating that not only her favorite, her favorite nephew has a podcast, that we're all out there celebrating her life and all that fun stuff. So with that being said, I just want to say thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast so far. With this being a special Thursday edition, I'm going to go right into the podcast. Amazing conversation with Jason, and hopefully one day you'll see me on Thrifting with J and A and to Mary. And now, my conversation with Mr. Jason T. Smith. All right, Jason, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks for coming on Talk To Me. Let's oh, get into thanks this. for having me. Oh, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a pleasure. Along with being a musician for years and years, I had a huge lunchbox collection. I used to have a huge uh, old metal lunchbox collection uh, pre-eBay days. You know, would definitely go out hunting all the time myself to uh, various flea markets and antique stores looking for things like that. So this opened up a whole new side to the listeners for myself, and it's just uh, great to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, and so let me ask you, do you still have the collection? Did you sell it? Did you lose it? What happened to it? I sold the collection years ago, uh, partially for uh, put back into some musical equipment, things like that. But, you know, yeah, I used to go out every uh, every chance I got and I had my spots and, you know, I knew I knew what vendors had lunchboxes and, you know, I knew the history of lunchboxes. Still do all that stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, if you know, if you know a niche, you know, my niche is uh, tiki mugs, if you know what a tiki yep. mug is. You know, and I, uh, I as, just as we started this, I opened a box. I'd gotten, I'd bought a mug uh, for way too cheap, and uh, I'm not going to flip this one because I really like it. But uh, I research my niche every single night on eBay. I look at every single tiki thing that gets listed every day, and I look at every tiki thing that gets sold every day. So I'm always right on the pulse of what's hot and what's not, because I'm buying to flip, I'm buying to keep. Uh, you know, I'm looking for, especially when I'm on eBay, I'm looking for people who mislabeled something, mispriced something. And, uh, uh, and my collection's huge, and so I've always grown my collection, but it's so big now. When new comes in, old has to go out. So <clears throat> whatever's the oldest, worst mug I have has to be sold now. So kind of what got you into collecting and, uh, you know, the tiki mugs and all the various things you collect? The tiki was, uh, my wife and I grew up in Cleveland, and uh, she got a job offer in September of 2000 to move to Long Beach, California, 
her company was going to pay to move us there. They had a, a problem office they needed a strong leader in. And so she had called me and told me this from work, and I was at home. And uh, she said, we'll talk when I get home. And by the time she got home, I was already packing because I, I, could, I couldn't imagine a better time to escape Cleveland winters than somebody else paying for me to move to sunny Southern California. So we had lived there for about six months, and we were living on a lagoon right by the ocean uh, in Belmont Shore area of Long Beach. And I'm looking around my house at my Cleveland decor, so to speak, and I'm like, it's time for a change. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, there's this new artist, uh, his name is Shag, he just hit in the market, and he does this whole kind of tiki revival thing, and, and uh, let's, go, let's go tiki Hawaiian. And she goes, okay, so just kind of a conscious effort to change her decor, so we kind of cleaned out the Cleveland decor and bought our first couple tiki mugs, and then really got into the scene, and you know, that was 2000 or so, 2001 probably, and uh, now these years later, I think my mug collection's up to like 950 mugs, plus about uh-huh. 10 million other cool pieces of art and stuff and my, my, my friends all call my house the tiki museum <laughs> so what exactly is uh cleveland decor by the way well you know it wasn't really anything specific but it was just like you know it, it was the same furniture we had in cleveland and stuff like that and so you know we had this new this fresh start so to speak and yeah uh, you know, we lived in a place where it never snowed and oh my god it was so amazing and so i kind of wanted to have the the look of our condo kind of fit the vibe of you know southern california and there was this whole tiki revival that happened in the late 1990s, uh, like many things, disco killed tiki. <laughs> and tiki bar, uh, tiki started in 1939, t- the first tiki bar, and it was going strong through the uh, 60s, and then it started to wane a little bit in the 70s, and then disco killed it. And so tiki was just gone. And then the late 90s, this guy named Sven uh, actually wrote the book on tiki and kind of unearthed a bunch of stuff, and then it kind of grew from there. And now it's just a whole normal, everyday scene nowadays, but it, it, it had to be reborn. So what got you into uh, buying and selling? Was it Did you start on eBay? Did you start flea marketing? How did you do all that? Well, actually, I started flea marketing when I was six. My mom and grandmother loved antique and loved flea markets and, and, the, and the like. So they would drag me along. I was the first grandkid. Uh, and, um, you know, at a, when you're, think back to when you were six, uh, antiques was not a fun thing to hang out in. You know, toys would be, but not antiques. But I was always fascinated. I was always that kid loved to talk to people. And so I wasn't so much fascinated with the old stuff, but I was fascinated with the people selling it. And so even though this one, uh, my first antique uh, flea market, my mom and grandma lost me. And not that my mom was a bad mother, but I just wandered off. And they found me talking to a vendor, just asking him why he was selling what he was selling. I was just intrigued and, and, and enthralled. And it really clicked for me about four years later. I was 10 years old. And uh, uh, Star Wars had been out. I was a huge Star Wars fan. And I think Empire was about to come out. It was summertime, and there was a community garage sale in front of a high school, and I had saved up. I had a little paper route, and I think I'd saved up like 40 bucks. And I realized that day, $40 buys two to three times as many used toys as it does new toys. And then I was hooked. I'm like, I'd rather have more stuff than new stuff. Kind of going back with my story and all this stuff, too, is like my my mom still tells me to this day about, about a time when I was about four years old. I drug a blanket to the side of the road. We lived... You know, it was more country, but we lived to the, you know in the country. I, you know, had a side of the road blanket. I took out canned goods and anything I could find in the house, priced it all up, and sat out there all day trying to have my own yard sale at four years old. And nice. <laughs> and I, she said nobody ever stopped, but she said she let me stay out there forever, just you know, with the with the, the passion to to try and buy and sell. So so that's where my nonsense started. So <laughs> and it kind of waned when music came along, but. 
But uh, yeah, I definitely have it in my blood somewhere too. Plus both of my grandparents, on my dad's side, my grandparents owned a thrift store for many years. Oh, wow. And then my mom's side of the family, um, they redo, refurnish and, uh, furniture. So, you know, it's it's definitely in there somewhere. Yeah, and I, and I was just hooked from that. I, I always garage sale them. And I, I tell you, uh, I was born in 70. I'm 44 now. So when you were garage sailing in the mid-80s, the early to mid-80s, it wasn't cool. I didn't tell my friends I was going garage sailing with my grandmother and my mother. And it was not, I mean, nowadays it's kind of cool. It's, you know, Macklemore made it cool with the thrift stores. Yep. Oh boy, back then, because, and, and we weren't poor, uh, we were rich, but we weren't poor. But I, I think people had this notion that if you had to go buy stuff at garage shows, you're probably poor. No, I definitely and, can see that, yeah. And, I, you know, I, you know, you want to be cool when you're a teenager, man. I was a teenager in the 80s. I was all about uh, punk rock and hair metal. And usually <laughs> those two things didn't jive together, but in my head they did. <laughs> so I couldn't tell friends I was garage sailing, but I did. I did every every weekend, and uh, uh, and it led me to have my own TV show. So it, it's weird that, you know, what I was uh, embarrassed of in 1984 uh, actually paid me, you know, gave me a little bit of a career. Yeah, when your show kind of first started popping up, and I know that we're kind of skipping a whole lot of time period, but I yeah. remember, like, you know, that reselling boom on TV there for a minute. You know, you had your Pawn Stars and your American Pickers and, you know, Auction Hunters and, and you know, everything else came out. And I was joking with a buddy of mine that I did uh, some antique stuff with. I was like, man, we need, like, yard sale hunters. And, like, and when your show popped up, I was like, that's almost what I was talking about. (laughs) You know, I I think you hit, like, a couple of yard sales on the show. But, I mean, you know, how did you go from the six-year-old talking to the the antique dealers to to your own show on Spike? I started selling on eBay pretty early on, the late 90s. And uh, my my wife's job pretty much moved us five times in seven years. And so every time we moved, my job was essentially, like, she had the career and I had the job. Yeah, And so my, my job at the time would be to unpack the house. And while I was unpacking, I'd sell online for a few weeks, and then I'd go get a job. And so there was a point when uh, I was the night manager of Tower Records in Hollywood. And this was 2001. And so this was, a, you know, kids nowadays don't know this, but in 2001, you couldn't download music. You couldn't steal music, uh, off the Internet, that is. And there, there was some, you know, buying and selling online, but not like it is today. And so if a celebrity or a famous person wanted music, they had to come down to Tower Records in Hollywood. So it was an amazing time to work there. Uh, every day I was helping a different celebrity pick out music. You know, it went from John, uh, Elton John to Don Henley to Paul Stanley to Redman to Scary Spice to uh, Meg Ryan. It was just awesome. Uh, I had the longest conversation with Rick Rubin. I, I didn't bug too many celebrities, but if – there was somebody in front of me who really, his, his work or her work touched me in a way. I would say, hey, just want, I don't want to bug you, but I'm a big fan. So I told Rick Rubin I was a huge fan of everything from Def Jam on, on up and his work with Johnny Cash and the Dixie Chicks. He became like a little kid. He was like, oh, let me tell you what I'm working on next. <laughs> and he was working on a clown solo LP that never saw the light of day. Hmm. From, clown from Slipknot. Yeah. And he was so excited to tell you about that. I'm so bummed to have never heard that. Uh, but sorry, I got, I got sidetracked there. Uh, so um, I went away on vacation. I came back, and this, this new manager put been put in place, and uh, people behind me got promoted above me. And I was like, what the hell? I, I lost the promotion because I went on vacation. Right. They're like, tough. And, my, and just then, my wife got called by a different company in the same industry that said, hey, we'd like to hire you and pay you twice as much. <laughs> I'm like, oh, cool. So I said, hey, can I quit? And I was at work. And she said, yes, absolutely. 
because we I work nights, she works days. We never saw each other. So I leaned back into the head, the new head manager's office, and said, "Hey, uh, here's my two weeks. I quit." And uh, so I started selling on eBay full time, and I and I stayed with eBay just for the longest time. And we moved to um, Las Vegas, and I got uh, I was selling on eBay full time and doing fine. Um, so it wasn't busting my home because my wife had a nice job, and a buddy owned a hot tub store and he needed help one day. So. I delivered my first hot tub, which I never knew I wanted to do in life. <laughs> and uh, that one day of help led to two days of help, led to me getting a job. My wife kept saying, don't work for a friend. It never works out. And I called her the voice of reason. She was so right. So it became a, a miserable situation for me. And in the middle of all that, I got an infection in my arm. Um, I got a cortisone shot, and it, it set my arm uh, almost to its demise. I uh, It it got stuck in a bent position about two weeks after that it blew up. So my arm was dying from the inside out and uh, I had this crazy infection. So they had to do two surgeries in five days on me to basically save my arm. And uh, in those five days, I had this just moment of clarity laying in the hospital, being hooked to all these tubes. I couldn't stop crying because uh, they cut out all this muscle tissue out of my arm and the pain was even greater than the morphine. And it was just, it was, one of the low points of my life, obviously, and I'm like, I hate my job. i got to fix this. So right away, I got out of the hospital. <clears throat> I rehabbed my arm. I said, all right, I, I quit. I'm going back to eBay full-time. And that first month, I made just as much on eBay as I did at a job that was very physical and backbreaking. And I thought, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> right. And that, that led to me uh, eventually helping others learn how to go to thrift stores, find the hidden gems, come home, sell them on eBay, and make some money. And so um, I started doing that with, with a guy named Brian, and we uh, spoke at a couple conferences, and we had a couple classes where we would take people out and show them how to do it and how to sell and make money. And uh, there was a point where a production company was looking to make a thrift show, just kind of like you said. They had all these kinds of shows, but no really yard sale thrift show. Yeah. And this, this company wanted to make one, and they looked at Google, and they looked at YouTube, and then they looked around Facebook, and everywhere they looked, we kept popping up. So they were like, well, let's call these guys. And I happened to be home in Cleveland for my uncle's funeral. It just passed away. And I get the call that we got this call to be on TV. And I'm just like, bullshit. You don't get that call. <laughs> right. It doesn't just happen. And I'm like, somebody's pulling our leg. And, and he goes, I don't think they are. And I said, well, okay, tell them I'm, I'm home for this funeral. I'll be back in a week, and then we'll talk. Well, obviously it was real because we ended up on, on TV for two seasons. Um, and, you know, we uh, they said, let's. Let's do some test footage. And I said, oh, all right, cool. So we shot two, two, uh, two days worth of test footage in May of 12. And it was eight hours a day. And I got home on the second day, and I put my feet up, and I looked at my wife, and she said, well, I said, we'll never get a show. There's no show here. <laughs> I never made TV before. And I was, I was thinking about the whole 16 hours we filmed, not about the little moments in between. So like you, from being from a band, you guys work on music all day long, and all of a sudden that one song hits. But you think about the rest of the day, I'm like, the rest of the day seemed like a waste to me. And that's how I felt about the show. I'm like, oh, there's nothing here. This is horribly boring. Well, when they took 16 hours and made it into an eight-minute silver reel and put in sound effects and music, oh, it was fucking awesome. And I'm like, oh, now I get how TV works. Yeah, they just... and, and, and not that I was dumb to it, but it just, you know, man, when you work for 16 hours, you don't think about, oh, remember that one second when I said something funny 10 hours ago? Yeah, I forgot about all those. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of like the podcast world, you know, where I can say something cool now and then later, but then I edit out all the other crap in between, and it just sounds like I'm a I'm a hoot from beginning to end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly. With all those, uh, you know, finding your items and things like that. And I know that there's a lot of, uh, with the storage wars and the shows like that, there's they, a lot of, a lot of talk of things being planted. Was there, was there items like that? Or was, were you truly going to your, to your uh, thrift stores and, and finding these, you know, finding these treasures? I'll tell you, uh, every show that you mentioned before, uh, bullshit. And I can tell you, we can sit and talk, and I can tell you how, how it is on every show, especially, especially uh, Pawn Stars, since I live in Vegas. Yeah. I know it even better than most. Well, with Pawn Stars, I was going to, you know, there's another thing, too, with Pawn Stars and Counting Cars and uh, uh, what was the other one? Rick's Restorations, whatever yep. that show was. Like, it, like there for a second, you know, Vegas was a hotbed for, uh, you oh. know, reality TV. I mean, I've... You know, were there crazy reality TV parties where you guys all hung out? <laughs> no, no. I, I, but I run into them, because, especially with Rick's. So the way the Rick's was bullshit was you would think people are bringing in stuff as theirs, and it wasn't theirs. They just had people bring things in to make it look that way. Right. But I'd see his son at auctions around town buying stuff that is all beat and decrepit. And then, you know, next season, some dude named Tom's bringing it in. No, I saw your kid buy it like six months ago. Uh, but with us... I, and, and that's what I said to the guy who wanted to hire me. I, I said, look, at 42, do I want to be on TV and famous? Sure, that seems like fun to me. But at 42, do I care about making fake reality TV? Uh, not a bit. So if that's what we're doing, thanks, but I'll pass. And he said, well, good to hear that because we don't make reality TV. We make, uh, ah, shit, what do you call it? Not documentary TV, but like that, you know. So we're really, I mean, still, we still have to make a fun show, yeah, entertain show, but, you know, we don't have to say anything up. So we just didn't. And we went out and thrifted. And I remember the first day, uh, nobody on the crew had ever been to a thrift store before. And of course we had never made TV. So we're just standing in the thrift store looking at each other. Like, what do we do? <laughs> you know, I mean, we had a kind of an idea, but of course they had to learn. It took about two or maybe three episodes for them to really get the grasp of how thrifting worked. And we did thrift stores. We did estate sales. We did garage sales. We did flea markets. And so with each of those brought different, like, you know, when you work inside of a, a thrift store that's air-conditioned and the lights are good and there's a bathroom to pee in, that's easy. When you're on the field at a flea market, it's a whole different <laughs> ballgame. So, you know, they had to learn all that, but and we had to learn how to do TV. Like, one of the first things I ever screwed up was I started talking about making the show while we were filming it, and I'm like, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Ferris Bueller. I'm not breaking the fourth wall. Right. Like um, a, you're not Zach Morris and snapping your fingers. And... Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we, we quickly figured it out, and we figured out what we had to do, and then we realized that a thrift store was easy because, uh, in my world, I can find treasures in any thrift store. So when we uh, And my crew was Canadian, so they always called it following the puck. We walk into a thrift store, and off we go, and they would just follow us. Yeah. And we did, like, antique malls. And now some booths just aren't my thing. And so what we would do is we would walk the mall for about an hour and then go, okay, we're going to buy some crap in this booth, this booth, and this booth. And then they would know to fall to those booths because if they followed us to booths that didn't have anything at all, that we would, it would just be a waste of time. Yeah. But so, yeah, so it was just, there was always cool stuff to be found. And like today, I, I hit three stores uh, before we started talking, and I've got a backseat full of treasures. And I wasn't trying that hard because I got a lot of stuff to sell. I don't need anything, but it was half off day, and boy. I can't sit home on a tap off day. <laughs> Just in your blood. That's oh, it is. Uh, we talked actually prior to the uh, podcast about this, but uh, but you know my my full time job is I'm a mail carrier, and a lot of times on Friday and Saturday, when I go in, I'll stop at the ATM just in case. I mean, I'm not uh-huh. al- I'm not allowed to veer off my route for a yard sale, but if there's a yard sale on my route, 
I can take my lunch break, take, you know, as long as yep. it's under 30 minutes or whatever. And, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll see the signs. I'm like, is this on my route? Is this on my route? And then I'll, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be trucking around and there's been days where I've stopped and they look, you know, they look at me like I'm crazy getting out of the, you know, my, my little mail truck and I get out and I lock it up and, you know, go and check out the thing. And they're like, is everything all right? Did you have a package I needed to sign for? And I'm like, no, I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, no, checking, checking out your crap. stuff. I mean, treasures. <laughs> treasures. My aunt who, uh, who, unfortunately passed away from a you know, during surgery a few years ago she was absolutely an amazing junker like she she just had that nose for finding some great stuff and she always called them treasures so from from now on you know like even if it's just a beat up old can or something you know it was a treasure and so so that's where i get that that lingo from and my aunt Marilyn to this day you know uh, it's one of the reasons i still love junking and treasuring but yeah she would she would go to auctions you know she was the kind that would go to auctions and buy an entire room you know for ten dollars or something you know and then and then you get it home and there's you know just all kinds of great stuff once you went through you know take the time to go through it oh yeah i bought i bought full garages and uh some have worked out really well and some have worked out well in terms of money made at the end but the work involved was too much and also like my wife my wife and i lost our dining room for one whole year because i bought six thousand records out of a garage once nice and records are a good, huge, uh, huge oh, thing. Yeah. Like I'd say I such... made good money, but the work involved, looking back, it was just, it was too much. And I'm like, all right, I can't do that again. But yeah, so you and I, I mean, without you, I don't have a job really. So, you know, <laughs> you and I are very uh, hand in hand. And I have always, I've always had a good working relationship uh, with the, the postal carrier that came to my house. Yeah. Uh, and before that, before the days of printing labels online, you had to go to the post office and I started selling a lot of CDs in the uh, early 2000s, and I was selling like, I don't know, three to five hundred a month. I was finding them at these cheap uh, at these CD stores, and, and back then you just had to go up to the counter, and they would, you know, put your thing on a scale, and they would print off a little thing. And and there was a point where a guy yelled at me, he goes, "I can't keep doing all these." I'm like, well, what's my option? I, you know, because I would come in with like 30 or 50 CDs a day, yeah. and I'm at this little post office, and everybody's grumbling behind me. And I said to him, I go, well, what's my option? He goes, well, I could give you a stamps and just tell you how much you need for each package. Because when you sell an item like CDs, they're all pretty much the same. Yeah. Most CDs are four ounces. Some drift into five unless you're doing doubles. But for the most part, I would say 92% of all CDs and jewel cases are four ounces. So he goes, here, you just need these three stamps, and that'll be – I'm like, oh, cool. But I still would drop them off, and then if I ever had to have something signed for or international, I had to go to the counter. But I always made good friends with the people behind the counter because – uh, not that I was shipping uh, like toxic waste, but I, I always knew that if I dropped off some cookies or some Christmas bonuses and just talked to them nicely as just an average person where most people didn't, they would always take care of me. They would go that extra mile to help me out. And same with my guy who picks up. Like in the summertime, I'll leave him cold bottles of water. In the wintertime, I give him a nice Christmas bonus. And uh, he would always make sure that I was taken well care of. And yeah. So, so – to you and to everyone else in the postal uh, worker workforce, thank you very much. And uh, we appreciate all any and all gifts. I've been on both sides of it. You know, I sold an eBay for a long time. Now I'm a postal carrier, and you know, I've, you send that stuff out and it gets damaged, and you get so just like so bummed out but you know and so now if i get a package in that's obviously not made it through the entire process properly and it's you know it's it's got some bent corners or it seems a little roughed up i'm just like ah uh, like i i feel bad because i feel like it you know if i leave a damaged package somewhere then they think i did it and you know plus yep. you know 
you know, I was a musician for a very long time and I still have those musician looks or whatever. So a lot of times, you know, the, in the town that I deliver in, they kind of look at me like I'm, a, you know, like an alien to the, to begin with. So <laughs> I, I don't want to give them anything to fuel the fire of, uh, of, of their uh, perceived perception of me. So, but Hey, let's just jump back to tower records real quick because yeah. in, in all my music and in all my years of, uh, employment in many different places, I actually worked at a tower records for a little while, the one in Nashville, Okay. And uh, and you were talking about you know you wouldn't bother the celebrities that came in and we got our fair share and uh, I remember uh, one day I was upstairs doing like a shift change or something and a couple of our our managers at the time came up and this was like nineteen this is a ninety nine or two thousand like right in there and uh, Chris Kirkpatrick from NSYNC was in the store but no one wanted to talk to him because you know they they just they thought he was too huge to talk to. <laughs> so I, so I was like I was like move you know I was like I went downstairs and uh and I walked up to him and this is when I had like you know super long dreads and that's when he had those like weird dreads on top of his yep. head kind of thing and so I was like so what you got in your hair you know how'd you do your hair and blah 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 and we just sat there and talked and it's and he like I almost feel like I left the conversation before he was done talking because like I wasn't just a crazy person and I wasn't like bombarding him. He was actually having a normal conversation with someone about, you know, just about life and, and all that stuff. So it was, it was he was a pretty decent guy, you know. I saw him once at the height of NSYNC. So, you know, girls would just lose their mind. We were in New York, New York, uh, the casino here in Vegas. And this is back when I was a tourist. And I recognized him. He had a hat on. He had all his hair stuffed underneath <laughs> it. And I was looking right at him, and I said to my wife, I said, hey, that's Chris from NSYNC, and no one knew, and the place was packed with people and families and, and you know, 12-year-old girls. And I said, oh, I could just screw up his day. I went, <laughs> and I went, oh, my God, that's Chris from NSYNC. <laughs> but, of course, I wouldn't. And, and, and like I said, when, when, when people came in the shop, it, it, was, it was crazy because, you know, people would get like, oh, my God. And I didn't ever get like that so much other than, like I said, I would tell people, you know, hey, uh, I, you know, your your movie, your music, whatever, uh, really moved me. Like Tom Morello came in one uh, one night shopping with his mother, and I saw him, and I, I could tell he was with his mom. And I was just walking by to the back, and I said, "Hey, Tom, huge fan, uh, uh, Rage, one of the best bands of all time, and you're an incredible guitar player." But I don't want to bother you. He's like, "Hey, no worries. Hey, mom, go find what you need." And he, and he just sat, and we talked. Uh, you know, we talked hard rock for like 15 minutes. It was just. You know, those kind of moments where I'm so glad I had that job. It was so much fun. Uh, and, and here's the weird thing, and I don't know I don't know if you experienced this when you worked at Tower. I had famous people buy their own stuff. You ever I don't have know, that? So I didn't have anyone buy their own stuff. I had people I've seen people come in, look for their item, and if they couldn't find it, they would ask me about it and if it like might be an understock or somewhere weird, you know, maybe we were just sold out of it at the time. But I've seen people come in and like they'll like if their CD was in alphabetical order, but it was behind something, they would move it to the front, you know, and like <laughs> and then move on, you know, that type stuff. But I never, I don't think I ever seen anybody buy their own stuff. So I, I, I had Burt Reynolds buy Burt Reynolds movies. I had BB King buy BB King box sets. Uh, <laughs> I had Tommy Chong buy Cheech and Chong CDs. Nice. And and you know we're in Hollywood. I'm just like, isn't there someone you can just call? <laughs> Not that I think it's free, obviously. Yeah. But you're Tommy Chong. You can't reach out to someone at your label. Well, I will say, well, this is the other side of it. When the Primer 55, like the B-Sides and Rarities album came out in like 2007, I went to the store and bought it. <laughs> and my name's in it, you know. So I was kind of, 
you know, so I understand where it is. I just thought it was cool to go buy something, you know, something with my name on it kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I don't, obviously not the stature of a Burt Reynolds or Tommy Chong, but it's still, it's still cool to be able to walk into a store and buy it. Oh but, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely cool. I mean, cool. it was, uh, you know, you, you know, I've, you, you talked about people not wanting to talk to Chris cause he was huge. I look, I was on Spike TV for two seasons. I don't think I'm huge. I don't think I'm the shit, but I've had people who would, were too shy to say hi to me. And yeah. Even though, if you don't know what I look like, I'm I'm a big dude. I'm bald, big bushy beard, six five, two eighty, a lot of tats, and I do kind of look imposing. If you don't know me, but if you know me and we're friends, I'm a big teddy bear. And uh, like just recently, I caught a guy taking pictures of me like two months ago. Well, I thought I caught him. I didn't see him for sure, but he was really short. And I'm looking over his shoulder, and he's got his phone open to his camera, and he kind of hit it, but I still kind of saw it. And I'm like, that dude was taking pictures of me. Not that I mind. Like, right. I love when people say hi to me, and and you know, like I was touched by others' work. I love when people say, oh, my God, I love your show, or I've learned so much from you. Because I, I run a group online, and I teach a lot of people. And so when people tell me their success stories, whether it's because of my show or a class they took from me or my group, it really makes me smile. I'm like, what a great place to be in life where others have learned. I mean, I've had people keep the power on in their house because of what they learned from me. That's yeah. powerful. That's, and so when nice. I caught this guy taking pictures, I'm like, no, I didn't say anything to him. I just moved on. I go, maybe I'm wrong. So about two days later, uh, my buddy Tony goes, hey, was there a small Asian guy taking pictures of you uh, <laughs> in Vegas two days ago? I go, so now I'm thinking, before I even replied, I go, man, am I on some, like, some dumb like Z-list celebrity website now? I mean, did I look stupid? I go, yes, I did. I caught him. I thought. He goes, that was my husband, but he was too embarrassed to say hi to you. I go, what? I go, plus, Tony, you and I know each other. I go, Oh, my God. And, and the, the, the three pictures he got, and he actually did put up online, which I thought was fine because I thought it was funny. I looked so mean and pissed in every picture. <laughs> and I was with friends that day, and we were having so much fun in the thrift store. He caught those three split seconds of – and I get when you see a picture of a celebrity now who looks drunk, and they go, I wasn't drunk that night. I looked like a complete asshole in those three pictures. <laughs> like, I would kill you if you walked up to me. But, no, it was just the opposite of that day. I was having a great time. That's crazy. So with your thrifting and uh, going, you know, you go out, how often do you, how often a week do you say you go out into the, into the wild, do you say? So before the show and, and during the show, it'd probably be a good two, two to three full days. And I can out shop anybody. That's kind of why I got the show. When the, the chain I like is called Savers. When they have a half off day, they have six stores here. I'm at the first one at 9am and I'm at the last one at 9pm when they close. So I've been on the road and shopping for 12 straight hours without excuse me, without missing a beat. Since the show, and since I keep, I get hired to speak at different parts of the country, I've, I've, the last eight months, I've been on the road, on the go, like twice a month, every month. And so the actual going to the stores are kind of few and far between, but I do, when I get to a city, I, I have a class, and I teach people how to do it, so we're in the stores. Uh, but nowadays, if, I'm, if I get out once a week, I'm doing good. And when you're out now, and people know who you are, do they... Do they tend to like kind of eyeball what you're buying, or are they are oh, they, they kind of? Oh, oh yeah, it happened today. A guy goes, "Oh my God, is this the famous Jason T. Smith?" And I said, <laughs> "It is." And he goes, "Hey, I'm Tom. I'm in your group. I know your show." He just started digging through my cart. <laughs> now it didn't bother me, but he was like, "What do you got here?" And he's like, "Oh, a nice Levi's jacket. Oh, what's this T-shirt? Why buy that?" So yes, it, it happens. And, and the funny thing was, I do it too. So if you walk by me with a full cart. I will size it up quickly. Yeah. And one time I was, I was sizing it up, and I saw some things that I'm like, oh, shit, I wish I would have seen those. And then I saw a couple things in the cart 
that I had seen and skipped. And then for a split second, I doubted myself. I go, hmm, were those good? And as I'm looking at this cart, the person looks at me and she goes, are you Jason from Thrift Hunters? <laughs> so I'm totally scoping her cart out. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, a little stalker of, a, of goodies in a cart. <laughs> How often do you, and I, I do this a lot when I go to a garage sale and like there's someone that got there like right before me and they've got a pile started and you see their pile and you're just like, why was I not here 20 minutes ago? Like how often do you go through that? Oh, it happened this morning actually. We were, uh, my wife and I were in Palm Springs last week and I saw a garage sale coming up this weekend in Vegas that had all the stuff I like, especially Tiki mugs. And when I looked at the address, I'm like, are you kidding me? It was uh, across the street from my house. <laughs> uh, I mean, the development. So I live on this side of the road, the yeah. development on the other side of the road. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm not home when there's a, a garage sale with Tiki Mugs across the street. So they were only supposed to do it Friday, Saturday. They ran it today. And I'm like, I said to my wife, oh, let's go over real quick before I go out thrifting. And I bought tons of stuff. And I'm just thinking, holy crap, what was here Friday and Saturday? Right. If I'm buying all this stuff, and they, they told me one guy was there the day yesterday by, uh, for three hours shopping. That's how much stuff was at this garage sale. And I'm like, man, I got some goodies, but I can't even fathom what I missed, and I'm bummed. That's always a great story, too. Like, on a Sunday, when you find something, you're like, how did this sit here all weekend and no one touched it? And it's like, you know, it's just a crazy gym or something. You know, it's a, I always just wonder about that. Like, we went to a yard sale last year, last, last season, I guess, and uh, we roll up and it was everything was a quarter and it was one of those like, <laughs> wow. are you sure everything is a quarter? Like, you know, there was stuff that, you know. I don't know. It was just crazy stuff. But this lady had started a pile and like she wasn't there for very long before us. But she had all these like Kiss VHSs and stuff like, you know, Kiss meets the Phantom on VHS and wow. Kiss, like all the all the home videos that they put out. Yeah. I'm like, man, like, how do you get all this for a quarter? I ended up getting some Cinderella VHSs from that, though. She she skimmed over the she got the Kiss ones, but she didn't buy the Cinderella ones, which I was like, why would you do that? Why? You know, if you like Kiss, I'm sure you like Cinderella. Come on. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, today. So today is half off every piece of clothing with uh, a shopper's card. And so the second story I hit uh, was an hour and a half into them being open for the day. And I found a Lamb of God t-shirt for nice. two bucks, a Neil Young and Crazy Horse t-shirt from the 9596 tour for two bucks. And I'm like, how are these still here? <laughs> right. I, I mean, do, do, do the rest of you not know how to do this? I mean, that's crazy that those two shirts were still in the rack. I mean, I found tons of other good stuff, but those two really stood out. I'm like, how is that still in the rack at two dollars? Do you remember the story of the the? They were thrifters that I think were somewhere maybe in Knoxville or somewhere in that area of of, of the country, like Virginia, Knoxville, somewhere. But they had bought uh, Vince Lombardi's jacket from oh, sweater, yeah, yeah, sweater. Yeah. Like, and you know, and that was went through the went all the way through the Goodwill, and that's like six weeks. And then it makes it all the way to their outlet store, which is yep. about to be recycled and destroyed. You know, it's just like, how does that sit there? I mean, it was a pretty cool, even if you just wanted a cool sweater, you know, it was yep. a cool little sweater. So it just, it just blows my mind out. Some of that stuff just makes it, makes it through the system and never gets, it never gets picked up. But, uh, I actually worked, this is another, this is another, I swear I've had every job. And so for like a month and a half, a few years ago, between jobs, I actually got a job at the Goodwill. I got I infiltrated the system and uh, right. I, <laughs> and uh, I, I went into work one day and there was this old 1932 typewriter sitting by the back door. And I was like, what are you what are we doing with this? And they're like, oh, we're about to throw that away. And I was just like, are you guys crazy? They're like, nobody wants an old typewriter. I mean, this is the Goodwill. And I'm like, 
I'm like, hang on a second. I pull out my phone and I'm like going through it. And I found it on, you know, eBay on the sold listings and it went for like $600. And I'm like, wow. you guys just about threw away $600. But, you know, it's just things like that. Like when you're on that side of it, the people in the back are not experts. They're like young kids with a part-time job throwing price stickers on these things and they're shipping stuff out and they're they're putting way too much on one item and they're selling other things for like nothing and i'm just like ah like it, yeah it, and that's what i love because people say because of ebay because of my show like i've been yelled at that my show has ruined it for other thrifters yeah and and i said look when i buy something uh, uh, frequently at any one store after a while, they realize, oh, we should probably be charging more than two bucks for our Harley Davidson T-shirt. Hey, today they're twelve. Right. And so, okay, well, I'm not buying it for twelve, but okay, I'm gonna go learn something new. And so, I've always done that, and it makes you a more well-rounded thrifter if you're doing it, especially if you're doing it to make a living. But also, after a while, those twelve-dollar uh, Harleys will start creeping back down. I found a great Harley shirt today. It was four bucks since it was half off. It was two bucks. Uh, so that creeped back down. And, you know, I've learned all these new sections. Like, I live in Vegas. I'm not a fancy guy, and I never wear suits. But now I'm, I'm learning suits and sports coats. And, like, the first day I ever went out to start hunting down sports coats, the, the, one of the first ones I ever bought, I paid 5 bucks and I sold it for $300. Wow. And I don't wear jeans too often, and so I started learning jeans. And uh, the first thing, though, I taught myself, uh, a friend said to me, hey, you know, if you have, uh, a female friend, by the way, if you find big bras and big lingerie, there's a huge market for them. Because uh, with any type of clothing, the bigger the size, the less uh, options that person has. I can see. But when you get to real big, you know, you can't really move. Like on the show, I bought uh, a pair of overalls that were size 70 waist, <laughs> 38 inseam. So for, if for anybody wow. listening to this, here's a comparison. I am 6'5", 280. I have a 42-inch waist and a 32-inch inseam. I'm more torso than leg. Right. This person was a 70-inch waist and a 38 inseam. It was like Andre the Giant. Yeah, that was, was the, the exact yeah. person that popped in my head. That dude, whoever it was, could squish me like a grape. And I put it up and sold it within a week to a guy in the U.K. Now, if you have a 70-inch waist, you're probably not mobile. Yeah. So easy to shop online. But also, how many options do you think that person has? There's not a lot. So when you find things, and so a friend said, same with bras. She, she knew I bought big, big clothes like shirts and denim and stuff. So I said, all right, I'll give bras a whirl. So like today, I picked up a 38G, and I paid like 250 and I'll sell that for like 25 30 bucks. And so I'm always in the bra section, so I'm always getting <laughs> – at first, you used to get these crazy looks. Yeah. And most people know who I am nowadays, but still, I think most people, when they sign me, see me buying the big bras, they think I'm buying it for myself, like cross-dresser kind of thing. And uh, – don't bother me. And I'm like, I don't care. I'm here. Make, I'm making money. So I don't care what you think. You just get out of my way. So I have an ethics question for you. And say you're in a uh -oh. yard sale. I didn't know there was going to be an ethics question. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. There's a pop quiz at the end of this. So hopefully you've been paying attention the whole time. <laughs> so you go to the yard sale and you see somebody that has something for sale and they obviously don't know what it is. but they've And they've priced it like just ridiculously too cheap. You know, say something you can get on. You can sell online for 300 bucks, but they've got it for 50 cents. Have you ever offered, like, hey, like, is there any buyer's buyer's guilt or anything like that? Is there any, you know what, I'm going to give them 20 bucks for this? Or, or have you ever done that? Have you ever offered um, more than the price that they're asking? I don't know if I've ever offered more. Uh, you know, I, I, especially in this day and age, like, yeah. look, it's, we all have 
the thing on our hip or in our pocket is more powerful than any computer the last 20, 20 years. Yeah. If you don't know how to do your own research nowadays, especially at this point, I don't, uh, you know, hey, you threw a garage sale, you priced it, I bought it. Um, but there's been times, not so much maybe at garage sales, but online I see people have really failed. And like I said, I will take, I will take advantage of, of poorly listed items. But some things I'll see that are so bad, I'll, just, I'll write the, the seller out of the blue and go, boy, you, uh, here, you've got this title so wrong and this price wrong, you need to fix that. But you know what? I, I can't, not that I do it for a living because I don't get paid for it, but I help people every day, all day, uh, help them sell for more and better. So yeah. I feel my karma is kind of equal out. If I find a <laughs> sweet deal for 10 bucks and flip it for 500 here, I've just helped 50 people in my group today make more money and, you know, I feel my karma's equal out in that aspect. I've actually like not sold as much on eBay in the last year or so, just more because I felt like the trolls had moved up so much. Like I used to get messages so often about like like people don't like my picture that I took. Like other and they were other sellers. They weren't even even interested in buying, or they were like saying that I you know, where did you get this price? And I'm, you know, I want to be like, well, I researched it and this is what they go for and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's so crazy. Like it was just like those negative comment, like those negative messages, like just bummed me out so much. You get these just, or like, can you take a picture from this angle? Can you take a picture from that angle? You know, can you take a picture? And and, and that's one of the things I teach. You're you're taking it personal. Now look, if you're rocking out on stage and, and the guy in the front row was there for the headliner and you're the opener and they go, you suck. You can take that personal. Yeah. He's saying, you suck. But <laughs> when somebody who's never met you, who's not standing in front of you, just says, hey, I don't like your price, I, I always tell people, don't shop uh, don't shop emotionally. So don't just buy stuff that you like. You have to buy stuff that's going to sell. Yeah. And don't sell emotionally. So if somebody questions you or says, hey, that's, uh, you're selling that for too much, I just say thank you and I move on. And once people get over that hump, because people take even a negative personally, which I get it, but if if the buyer had a bad buying experience, that was their that was their reaction, whether it was just or not. But then people like I've watched people like go into like I'm going to cry in the corn mode for three days. I'm like, no, no. I go, trust me, this is just business. When when you have best offer on your item and somebody offers you less than half, I've seen people. I've had a I'm I'm like a one man crusade. People block buyers that offer them less than half, and I go, wait a minute. When you're the buyer, you should be trying to get the same deal. Yeah. When you're a buyer, you should get the best deal you can get. But, hey, I look at any offer, whether it's a buck or a thousand bucks, you know, if I'm selling an item for a hundred bucks and somebody offers me a buck, I don't just decline and block like most people do. I counter. Yeah. That that person just opened a dialogue with me. And my best example, I I had a dress once. It was a hundred bucks and a guy offered me eight dollars. And I countered with 95, and I was even thinking, we'll never get to a meeting point. They accepted 95, and they paid, and they loved it. And they just were testing the waters yeah. to see where I was at. They knew I did my research by only coming back with a $95 counter. And they were like, okay, they want this dress, and they weren't going to screw around anymore. But they, they dipped their toe into the water. But had I acted like most people act, I never would have got that $95, or at least not that day. Well, actually, I'll, I'll actually reference your show and – my all-time favorite movie, and you know anyone that's listened listen to the past episodes of the podcast, no, I love the movie Rad. 
you know, had Bill Allen yep. on the episode, and in hindsight, I just should have nerded out on him and and just asked him, you know, Crew Jones questions for twenty minutes. But you know, I tried to play it cool and be like, you know, what are you, what what else are you into? <laughs> but you know, looking back, had I done the interview again, I would totally nerd it out and just been like, you know, so if Crew Jones was, <laughs> but on the up on your show, you had the you found the rad jacket. You know, and, yep, and I, matter of fact, I listened to that episode today. So see how it's fresh in my head too, because I just <laughs> listened to that episode while I was thrifting at store number two. Yeah, I, I I remember the movie Rad from from when it came out, and you know because back then, after Rock or after Karate Kid hit, mm-hmm. there was a movie like that for every sport. Yeah, where you know the poor kid on this side of the tracks was actually better, but the rich kid had the better toys. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and so I loved Rad back then. Uh. And I think I'd only seen it once or twice, but I knew that had never been uh, the movie had never been on DVD or Blu-ray. Obviously, the soundtrack never got the CD; it was only a cassette and um, vinyl. And I had sold the video and I'd sold the soundtrack on, on both cassette and vinyl over the years for crazy money. Yeah. You know, when when you think about a soundtrack on cassette going for forty dollars, that's nuts. But because of the the demand for a product a product that's been out of print forever. You know, and that's one of the things I would teach. I always tell people, okay, you know, people always ask me, what, what's hot right now? What should I look for? Okay, go find the Rad soundtrack or the VHS. <laughs> you'll make some good money. And so when I stumbled across the Rad jacket, now everybody with me didn't know didn't know the movie. Like, I was the only one who knew the movie. Yeah. And I said, this is fucking awesome because, let me tell you, when you can get 40 bucks for a cassette, can you imagine what a jacket from the movie is going to bring in? And um, it, it was tricky filming because what we did was we would film – two episodes worth of shopping at a crack. Then we, they would leave us for like a week or two weeks and we would work on getting everything listed on eBay. Yeah. And then they would come back and film a week of us selling. And of course we needed to sell stuff in that week. And so we had the jacket up, I think for 1200 originally. And I got a guy on the hook who was really interested and we had some back and forth conversations. And he basically told me I'm the biggest rad fan in the world my wife gives me a yearly allowance to buy rad stuff, and <laughs> this is above my allowance, but because it's such an amazing item, she's allowed me to go, I think she, he said 700 And 700 would have been great. I paid 10 bucks for it, but yeah. also, we're making a TV show. I'm like, i got to make this really, you know, really sexy. Yeah. I'm like, all right, look, dude, I had 1200 on it. Eight will be my lowest, so, you know, check with your wife or something like that, you know? Yeah. And so he said, okay, she said I could do eight. So he bought it. I legitimately found it. Legitimately found it. He legitimately bought it. He has it in a glass uh, display case in his living room. That's amazing. And when the show first aired, like I said, most shows are bullshit. People thought it was all fake. They thought I bought it from a prop room. Uh, I have a buddy who used to ride BMX all the time. So he sent me some links to BMX forums where they're like, oh, we bought it from a prop shop, and he sold it to a prop shop. Yeah. And the one, the one mistake we made was we actually showed um, the buyer's city. Not, not his whole address, but we, we showed it was going to Atlanta, and we had just filmed in Atlanta. So then the conspiracy theories are, oh, they set it up when they were in Atlanta. Right. They just – somebody let you borrow the jacket kind of thing. Yeah. It was just a weird coincidence. But, uh, yeah, that was probably one of my best thrifted clothing finds of all time. Plus, I knew it right away. I mean, I knew it. I've made good money on Rad over the years. 
Yeah, I don't know. In the in the episode with Bill Allen, his phone kind of cuts out for a minute. But when he's talking about the different various items, and he's talking about the bike that's on the cover of Rad selling for seventy thousand dollars, you know, at first, even when I was talking to him on the phone, his phone cut out for a second, and I didn't catch it right away. But during editing, I was like, oh my god, he just said seventy thousand dollars. Like I thought he said seven when he first said it, and still, that's you know, crazy money still. But yeah, seventy grand for a bike. Yeah, that, that's actually like when that was probably like your first or second episode out, wasn't it? Because I remember. It was, uh, yeah, uh, I think that was episode one. Because of course, you know, we would film them, and then we want to come out with a bang. And that was, you know, over that first season, we've had we had great items, but man, that one was, you know, that was what we call the home run. Like, yeah, that was that was the episode too, because it was like, you know, the show concept was cool. You know, I enjoyed you guys on the show, and then the rad connection. I was like, oh, I'm sold. You know, set the DVR. <laughs> you know, but so. And I had to learn real quick. Uh, I, I'm I'm one to to not take crap from anybody, both online and in person. And like, actually, of the two to three thrift stores I was at today, I had to yell at two people in the store <laughs> at one of the first two stores because you know I'm a big dude and I don't take crap. So when 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 people are doing dumb stuff, I'm usually the guy that speaks up, whether in person or online. And man, I really had to keep my mouth shut when when they were just making up stories on all these forums because. The, the company doesn't want me being just an asshole online. Like, if it was just me personally, I'd be like, hey, you're an asshole. Right. But, but um, you know, Spike, like, you know, keep him in check. <laughs> I'm talking about me. <laughs> and, and I'm smart. You know, I, I definitely wouldn't have done anything to jeopardize my show, for sure. You know, and any any show comes to an end eventually. Unfortunately, mine came to an end too soon. But um, I knew I, I'm quiet until we're done. And then I can be back to being, my, being myself. I know I can see how to play the game. Right. You were going earlier, um, so we'll just kind of go with after the show. You got you were talking about uh, you go around doing doing speaking engagements and uh, you know helping others learn how to thrift and make money, and uh, you also have the the uh, online show too, the Thrifty Business with J and A, right? Yep. And uh, I, was, <laughs> I kept getting that wrong earlier, so I made sure that was right then. Yeah. So you've got the online stuff. I mean, so you're heavily involved in it still, and you know you're hearing uh, a lot of great feedback from people uh, learning. So what would you say is like the biggest success story? I mean, I know you said something about, you know, people being able to pay their rent and things like that, but are there thrift well, moguls I, out there? Well, I thought, um, I've hugged many times and cried on a few times and I, I didn't think I'd ever top this one. There was a husband and wife, he broke his back and the disability payment he was getting wasn't covering their bills all the way. And so with his broken back, he would have like one good hour a day out of 23. And so they really paid attention to what I was telling people to buy and to sell and how to do it and do it better. And so in that one good hour a day, he would take all the pictures for the listings and his wife would would source and then sell. And just listening to me, they were able to cover the bills. And and she she met me, she hugged me, and she cried. And I, I didn't think excuse me, that it would ever be topped because I thought, holy cow, I kind of saved their house, so to speak. Yeah. And then I met uh, my, my, now, my now friend, Tim Taylor, and I didn't know uh, Tim. He joined my, my he'd, seen, he'd seen my show, and he had joined my Facebook group, and uh, which is called The Thrifting Board. I'll get a little plug in for myself. There you go. Uh, but he had joined my group, and um, by his avatar was just his face, so didn't know anything about Tim other than he was a member of my group. I was teaching. I was going home to Cleveland, and I was teaching a class. And Tim lived uh, on the far west side of Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania to Cleveland's not all that far. 
So he said, hey, I'm going to take your class. So he signed up and paid for the class. And he said to me, hey, does my helper have to pay? Now, at this point, I don't know why he has a helper, but I, I'm like, oh, hell no. If you need a helper, hell no. Why would I, why would I make them pay? That's silly. But yeah. I didn't know what the helper did, you know? <laughs> and he goes, we well, you know, ever since the accident, I've, I've had a – and he kind of said, like, we've, we've, we'd had a conversation, but we never had. But I didn't want to pry, so I just left it as is. I'm like, no, no, your, your helper can come. You shouldn't have to pay. No big deal. So he shows up, and Tim's in, in a wheelchair and uh, electric, and he, he has little use of his hands and not much use of his body. And so we're doing the class, and the helper and my, and my mom was there because I was in my hometown, and my, my mom's proud of her little baby. And uh, the helper leaned over to my mom and said, you should be very proud of your son. And, and she goes, well, I am, but anything in particular? Right. <laughs> and she said, well... Uh, Tim had given up on life and was pretty much ready to drive his wheelchair off a cliff. Uh, and, and when he saw Jason's show, it brought him out of his funk. So basically what happened was Tim, his girlfriend, and his sister were driving to pick up a pizza one night. A drunk, uh, they were coming around a corner. A drunk was in their lane. They swerved away from him and ran to a tree, and the accident killed his girlfriend and his sister. Oh, wow. And broke his back and put him in a wheelchair for life, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he's ever coming back from that. And so he had gotten to a point in his life where, and I fully get it. I mean, I can totally understand it. You know, life was not worth living anymore. He lost his girlfriend, he lost his sister, and now he's stuck in a wheelchair. And, of course, he felt uh, he couldn't do anything for himself, really, and he couldn't do anything to just, you know, better his life. And so, But he saw the show, and he said to himself, oh, I can do that. So he has, he has a variety of helpers, but as one helper, Lisa, he's like, all right, let's go to the thrift store. So with what he learned on the show, and he had, he had found the group by that point, so he got in the group. And so he learned between the two, and, and Tim's had a little bit of an advantage, and, and it's weird to say somebody would have broken back in a wheelchair, but he's at a different eye level than a lot of us. So he sees things differently, and he can see different things than we see from being up above it. So he's pretty good at spotting stuff, especially on the clothing racks, and he just tells Lisa what he needs, and she grabs it for him. They come home, she does the pictures, and he can type. So he types up all the listings. Well, he started selling on eBay, and he started making money. And it turned his whole life around. Like he felt like a active member of society again, so to speak. And uh, so in a, you know, in a way, my dumb little show saved somebody's life. And, and, you know, there was nothing that'll top that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just, uh, you know, I think that's the first time I ever told a spare without crying too, because it, it tears you up because I'd made a dumb little shopping show. I never thought that that would turn into somebody going, I got to get out of my funk and uh, live, live my life. And he now, he used to DJ when he was, before the accident. He's now DJing again. He's making money. And That's we awesome. become friends. It's such a great feeling that uh, even though my show ended, I'm like, okay, I got to one person really good, and I'm good with that. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the one thing with the, the what you do with eBay. With, with how, I mean, I know I remember doing, I think I joined eBay in the early 2000s, and, you know, it was a pain of a process to get you know you had to have it you had to have a digital camera you had to upload those you know even before that you know i mean, I don't even know what you guys did in the late 90s i've heard i've heard the wonderful stories of like having to wait for money orders and checks in the mail and oh yeah <laughs> you know all that stuff so well, i could getting cash in an envelope yeah like you know you had up to two weeks to receive the payment and you know it's a crazy thing but you know just now with with ebay and and all the other sites that you can sell on and even like the facebook like yard sale sites things like that you know you can sell on facebook now and and you know to click away on your on your phone you know if you you can take a few bucks 
and flip it and keep flipping it and, and you know, and do some successful things with it. I've definitely found that. Uh, we're actually getting very close to our hour, which is crazy that it's already gotten that, gotten that far along. But actually, yeah, I, sorry, I tend to like to talk about what I no, do. No, no, no. I, I love I really enjoy it. No, I absolutely, you know, and in, in being a fellow junker <laughs> and a podcaster and all that stuff, you know, it's, I love to talk about these things too. A uh, couple things. Um, I want to hit like, what do you, what would you consider like your, your best score? Like, I, I, you know, you're, you're, oh my God, you walked up to a yard sale and, and you found like a box of something or what would you, you know, and it was like 10 cents a piece. You know, it's like one of those stories. What, what would you, what do you consider your like holy grail or, or best score? Well, the, the, the two are actually music. One I knew I had, I had hit it. And one I was a complete surprise. I found uh, the Beatles yesterday and today butcher cover second state. Wow. Uh, which means it was pasted over, yeah. uh, sealed at an estate sale for eight bucks. And I sold it for, I think, 3300 Wow. So that one I knew. I, I knew what to look for. I knew I had it. And the one I didn't know, I bought a whole collection of, of uh, soundtracks on CD, probably like a couple hundred. And I, it was one of those things where I kind of knew some of it, but I didn't know all of it. But when I got it and I paid like two bucks or 250 a CD, I was like, wow, I got some really rare stuff here. And the one, I didn't know how rare it was. I threw it up for auction, and two dudes just beat the hell out of each other. And the winning bidder won it for $510 for a CD. Wow. <laughs> That's insanity. I, I knew it was good, but, man, when when the smoke cleared, I'm like, wow, I did not realize that was going to be that amazing. So that was one of my night. You, you love when those happen. Like, I knew that, that sports coat I sold for 300 bucks. I knew it was going to be about 300 bucks when I found it. And once I figured out what I had... But boy, that CD, I had no clue it was going to be a $500 CD. Yeah, I had a, I'll go ahead and, you know, obviously set you up for this one, but I, I, I threw on a Facebook, on a Facebook group, like a yard sale Facebook group, like, um, I'm real big into Masters of the Universe, He-Man. Uh, so I threw on there, I was like, hey, I'm looking for some Masters of the Universe. I mean, it was real simple, it wasn't anything like I'm a reseller or anything, I was just like, hey, looking for Masters of the Universe. Immediately, this lady writes me back, she's like, I think we have some of that in the attic. I was like, oh, okay. So I go back and forth with her for a little bit. We start messaging. She was like, why don't you come over on you know, Friday and check it out? So I go over there, and I brought like 100 bucks with me cash. I just didn't – I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And the, the father took me into like this area above the garage. He was like, all these boxes are full of toys. Go through them and just make me – he goes – and he said, he's like, if you buy anything, you have to buy everything. I'm like, oh. I'm like crap so i started looking and i'm kind of nosing around and i start seeing you know he man this he man that castle gray skull snake mountain start kind of adding it up in my head and then i open up another box and i'm like and i'd never seen attorney in person and i was like is this is this a piece of attorney and this is a piece of attorney and i'm like i think that's a piece of attorney and wow. if you're, are you familiar with Eternia? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just for the listeners out there, Eternia was the massive playset that you know in castle, you know, had every castle and every piece, and and it's massive. And if you can find it, you know, it was it was almost too big back then for any person to actually buy their kids, and you know, it goes oh, yeah. for it goes for a crazy amount of money. So it had a lot of stuff. Then there was another box of like GI Joe stuff, and there was a box of this, and so there was about eight. I'm gonna say eight large tubs and boxes of toys. And I just looked at him. I'm like, I honestly looked at him and go, I don't have enough money for this. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, just make me an offer. He's like, we've told our kids to come get this stuff. They won't come. We're about to move. We just want to get rid of it. And I had a hundred bucks. So I was like, I'll give you 80 to maybe have some wiggle room if he wanted to go. And he looked at me and he goes, how about this? How about 50? 
<laughs> I was just, I was just like in my pocket as fast as I could, you know, you know. Oh yeah. I was like, here's your fifty bucks, and and I drove off. So I get back to the apartment and going through all the stuff, and I didn't notice any weapons or anything else. And I and I pull out a bag, and it's just full of every single weapon and accessory. I was just like, Jesus Christ! And I, I ended up talking to the lady, or I talked to her at the time. And she was like, yeah, when I, when my kids played with stuff, you know, I made sure that they put everything back the way they found it. And we kept up with everything because, I mean, my kids now, if they buy toys, I mean, the gun and the weapon and the this is lost 10 minutes after it's open. So for all that stuff to actually make it through time, it's always it always blows my mind when people still have the weapons to things. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I'm I'm the king of like, all right, I'm throwing everything away, you know, <laughs> Robocop. You got, gun uh... is, you know, go ahead. Yeah, so you got time for a story kind of like that real quick? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, no, this is a podcast. We can talk her all day. I'm just... All right. Just so keep I, um, I went when I decided to switch to Tiki. I got into this artist shag, and I'm still into them. And my wife and I have many, many shag prints hanging in our bedroom. It's kind of like a gallery to him. And there was a garage sale here in Vegas. And in the picture uh, on the Craigslist ad was a shag print, uh, one called The Elegant Thief. It was really early in his career. I didn't have it. It really isn't tiki, but I, I like all shag stuff. Yeah. And uh, I kind of knew the girl who was throwing it. She's a burlesque dancer in town. We have mutual friends. We're not buddies, but we kind of know each other. And so uh, I told my wife, I go, oh, let's go to this garage sale. She always has cool stuff, but she's got this shag print today, the elegant thief. So my wife's like, all right, cool, let's go. So the ad said, 8 o'clock, no early birds. We got there at 7.50. We were the first car. They, have, uh, they don't have a garage. They have a carport, and they had a tarp up. And so I see another car pulling behind me. 8 o'clock, the husband's taking the tarp down. My wife and I exit our car. The guy, the only other guy there at opening gets me by about five paces, and he goes right <laughs> to the shag print. And I'm like, ah, crap. I'm being lackadaisical, and I hear him say, how much? And she says, 200. Now, I, being who I am, and I know what I'm doing, I'd already done the research. To sell that print nowadays, unframed, you're going to get like 12 to 1500 for it. Yeah. This one is framed, and it's a huge piece. It's probably maybe three feet long when it's framed and uh, maybe three and a half feet, framed and double matted. So they've now spent a couple hundred bucks to, to frame and double matted. So I'm like, that's an easy 1500 if I was going to flip it. Yeah. So she says to the guy, 200 bucks, and he hems and haws trying to get a deal. Oh, I don't know. That's a lot of money. Now, I did my research. I know it's a big, a good score. I have already put the 200 in my hand. They don't know I'm coming. They don't know I've heard the conversation. He's not touching it. So, man, if you ain't touching it, it yeah, ain't yours. Yeah, you put it down, it's, it's gone. <laughs> yeah. So I walk up. I said, how much? She said, 200 Of course, I knew that already. I slapped $200 into her palm. I said, thank you very much. I picked it up, and I walked away. Oh. And the dude goes, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and, and the best part, the best part is I'm walking away. I'm holding it, so I'm looking at the back of it. After they had it framed, the artist Shag had bumped into him at some point. He drew on the back of it and signed it again. Oh, wow. So the yeah. back's probably actually might even be worth more than the front. Yeah. So I'm <laughs> thinking if I was going to sell it, it would probably be like $2,000, nice. give or take. And it's hanging. I actually had a nice hole in my wall, just perfect for that size. But, hey, man, <laughs> you snooze, you lose. You best be ready to rumble when you come to a garage sale with good stuff. Oh, that's the best part of the whole thing is, hagg you know, haggling over stuff. And, you know, it just blows my mind when people, you know, how much is this? Oh, it's this. And you know, they won't, they won't go back and forth with you or whatever. It's just I'm like, I'm there to haggle. That's like my favorite part of the whole, whole oh, I love haggling, but when the deal's that good, there is no, oh, no. haggle because he haggled and he lost. Yeah. No, I mean, when you know that it's, that it's that good of a deal and you've got the, the means to do it. Yeah. You definitely jump on it. 
earlier before we started talking, you said the Jason T. Smith, and you said the T actually had a had a had a story behind it. Was that am I accurate there? Oh yeah, I um. So my mom named me Jason Smith, and in the seventies, there's about ten million Jason Smiths, and I've always been like, Mom, this name sucks because it's so boring. And then the problems started to arise. So about oh about eight years ago, we're flying home, my wife and I from Hawaii. And she logs into her flight, no problem. I go to log into mine, and it won't let me. And it just wouldn't let me. And so I call the, the airline, like, you're going to have to come to the counter. So when I get to the counter, I find out that there is now a Jason Smith on the do not fly list. and ain't me. Oh, wow. But I have to prove I'm not him. So I call <laughs> my mom. I go, hey, thanks for this boring name, by the way. <laughs> so then we're living in Vegas, and there's a Jason Smith in Vegas who owes 30000 in back student loans. And every time the loan people call me for the money, I go, look, I got kicked out of my one year of college. It ain't me. You got the wrong Jason Smith. Right. And then the worst one. Well, before I get to the worst one, three on three separate occasions I've been in for medical procedures. Two were surgical and one was dental. And they had pulled the wrong Jason Smith file. Oh, wow. That's. <laughs> and the first one was the worst. I was actually having just surgery in my little toe, but they had to put me under because they were going to cut my toe open and take this extra bone. I had this weird extra bone in my toe. And so they'd already injected the happy juice into the IV, and they're like, count back from 10, and you'll pass out. And I went 10, and they read, and you're Jason Smith, and they read a social security number and a birth date that wasn't me. And that's the last thing I remember. (laughs) I I passed out. So when I woke up, I'm like, oh, my God. So, yeah, here's when I decided to always use a T. And and I've used a T most of my life, but not for a concrete reason. We got the show, and anytime you're on any TV movie or anything, they, of course, run a background check because they don't want to put a wanted criminal on TV or in a mm-hmm. movie. But my, my team's out of uh, Montreal, so they're all French-Canadian. They all speak way more French than English. And so they ran the background check, which I don't have anything on my background check of any uh, importance or any concerns. And they, they call me like Jason, and, and this is in a deep you know, French accent. Jason, we got your background report. It's not a deal breaker, but we can we can get past this, but we got to get in front of it. And I'm starting to laugh because there's nothing on my report. I go, yeah. And she goes, well, this is not funny. I go, well, yeah, it is. She goes, look, you know, I don't find a domestic violence arrest funny. I said, well, normally I don't either, but I don't have a domestic violence arrest. I've not been arrested since I was 18, okay? <laughs> so some Jason Smith who beat up his wife, his thing ended up on my name. Wow. So I said, when we, when we do this show, I want to make sure the T is in the opening credits because when people look for me, I want to make sure they find the right Jason Smith and not the criminal Jason Smith. So do you at least, like, I, getting ready for the podcast, I was like, well, you know, the T, yeah, do you at least, like, have a cool story and be like, it stands for thrift? Well, <laughs> dude, I was a teenager in the 80s. When people asked me, I told them this stood for totally. It was uh, Jason totally, totally Smith. Smith. You need a T-shirt <laughs> that says that. That would be great. Yeah. But now, right. and now it separates me from the uh, the bad the bad Jasons of the world. Yeah. Well, being in music for a long time too, and you know, I always I Google the hell out of myself. I'm not even ashamed to say it. Uh, <laughs> you know, just to see if you know I wrote a review or a picture or anything like that. And uh, and there for a while, this other Josh Toomey in uh, which is a very you know uncommon name. You know, Toomey is a very no kidding. Uh, <laughs> You're the exact opposite. Right. Uh, there's a couple of us around, but uh, there's like one in Australia, but there's one in like Portland, Oregon. You know, it was like local drug kingpin Josh Toomey, you know, <laughs> killed by the police and a blah blah blah. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> what are the odds? Yep. But uh, <clears throat> so we'll wrap this up with uh, 
what just give like a co- I know I obviously I don't want to give away all of your secrets because you, you you charge for that. <laughs> but uh you know just uh, what what are a couple basic steps you you tell people to do if they if they want to get into um eBay selling or thrifting, you know, just basically, you know, thrift flipping. All right, so my, my tip I tell everyone is, uh, especially if you've never done it, uh, if you're going to thrift to sell, start in the clothing section for two reasons. And start in your size. If you buy something that doesn't end up selling, then you just have an extra T-shirt or an extra pair of jeans. So really, there's no harm, no fault at that point. Secondly, clothing does not break in transit. It's not fragile. You do not need peanuts. You do not need bubble wrap. You do not even need a box. All you need is a little poly mailer. So Start with go go to the T-shirt section your size. Find a band shirt. Find a cool like Warner Brothers shirt. Find a cool uh, you know Oakland Raiders shirt. Just something that you know connects to you for some way. And I always say don't shop emotionally, but you know when you first start, do that, and then build up. You know I definitely did not start buying bras or buying dresses. <laughs> I, I killed it at purses too. I can I can really dig through a purse section and sell some sell the shit out of purses, man. I sell a lot of hundred dollar purses, but I didn't start there. Yeah. Started it, you know, I I knew music. That was my only niche for probably eight years, and then I started buying stuff in my size, and I was selling the excess. And then I'm like, oh, I moved from my size to the next size, and then from men's to women's. And then the only thing I don't ever shop in is children because I don't have any, so I don't know anything about children's clothes. But you know, that's that's my tip. If you'd never done it, start in your size and and clothing, and then build up from there. Um, the bigger the better. And when you get to clothing that's really big. Brand doesn't matter. If you're selling a pair of 36 jeans, you better have a good brand. Yeah. If you're selling a pair of 70 jeans, <laughs> brand really doesn't matter at that point. <laughs> oh. And then the biggest tip I can give you is come join my free Facebook group. It's called the Thrifting Board. You can get all the help you've ever wanted to uh, list your items, sell your items. And then, like uh, like you said, I do do a show on YouTube on Thursday nights called Thrifty Business with JNA at 9 p.m. East Coast, 6 p.m. West Coast. And we do kind of like an hour thrift show uh, but kind of like a nighttime talk show, we have segments and guests and music. You know, I try to make it fun and entertaining. Very cool. That the one the one uh, piece of advice that I would give, even though I'm uh, just on a, on a local level, uh, what I would do, and what I what I did with eBay, and what I actually did really well, which is from what you said with the selling a T-shirt and things like that, I jumped in on the totally the wrong end. I started, I sold. I, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. I sold derby glasses for the Kentucky Derby. Because they are a dime a dozen here, but they're really yep. not. You can't buy them anywhere else. You can't buy them at uh, you know anywhere outside of here. So you can go to yard sales. They're they're for days at yard sales here for a quarter, and you know you can turn them. You know they they don't the newer ones don't sell for a whole lot, but you know you're gonna get three to five dollars, seven dollars for those on eBay, and keep keep yeah. that keep that going. And then what what happened with me is around Derby time. You know, when the Kentucky Derby would run, uh, I would get these orders of people. I would have tons of them on my site. So I would have a lady, like I had a lady in Texas. She wrote me and she's like, hey, I'm having a dirty derby party. I need 110 glasses. Oh, and nice. Yeah, it's nice. But when you think about it, I had to ship 110 glasses in one, oh, yeah. in one giant thing. And I'm like, and she never, uh, like it, it, you know, it showed it, it was showed delivery confirmation and everything else. But she never wrote me saying that they got there okay. And so until she wrote me saying that they got there, okay, I was like scared to death. And then finally one day I emailed her for like the hundredth time. I'm like, please tell me you got the shipment. She's like, oh yeah, they were great. Derby party was awesome. But yeah, I was, I was panicked the whole time. Cause oh, I, I can imagine. You and, know, and I'm glad you said that. Cause that's our tip I give people. People get jaded to where they live. Yeah. So you see the Derby glasses all day, every day. 
Yep. And like we were, I was teaching a class in Boston, and they were just ignoring all the New England Patriots, Boston Red Sox stuff. I said, look, most of it's kind of boring or plainish, but within all these 10,000 10, Boston Red Sox T-shirts, there are three or four that are really nice and really better than the rest. So don't forget, to you it's commonplace, but to somebody who is a Boston Red Sox fan in Wichita, Kansas, they're not finding it in a thrift store. So they're going to buy it from you on eBay. Just find the good stuff because it will be easier to sell. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, we've got a lot of, uh, even with, you know, the University of Kentucky basketball is here, you know, in yep. the area and the University of Louisville and things like that. So, yeah, you can find a ton of stuff locally that, that you see nine million things of and never once think twice about it. But, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely, that's my two cents, you know. So right, you're, you're on the same page with me, brother. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, texting with you over the last few weeks, too, trying to get this interview together. But, uh, you know, I just sent it out, and I was like, man, you had a really cool show, and I've followed you on Facebook for a long time, and I'm like, I need to branch out a little bit, because, you know, having having all the metal dudes on and, and things like that, I was like, you know what, he seems like a cool guy, and I could totally, like, basically this this podcast, I started to just, you know, have cool conversations with cool people, and, and just kind of going back through my uh, history of music and history of the people that I've met over the years, and, and uh, you know, just basically just a, a, an extension of my life an extension of uh, the conversations i like to have so so thrifting like once you find like that's the one thing if you find someone that thrifts or yard sells or flea markets or anything like that you can sit there and talk for hours about you know your different scores and, and things like that and you know you're just going to go on forever so it's a, it's an easy conversation i knew I, I was like i'm not even gonna have to do any research for this just hit record <laughs> and let's go you know <laughs> so yeah just did the opposite not that i had to do research but i'm like uh i listened to two episodes or i listened to the chris kale one and one other one i'm like oh, i'm going out today i'm gonna listen to four or five episodes and uh I gotta say, I, I have my three podcasts I listen to uh, when I thrift on a normal basis, and I never differ. But dude, yours squeaked in because I, I have like I have loved every episode. Oh, that's awesome! Man. That's I've a... learned things about members of bands I like, and and I, and and you know, some some are some are bands I didn't care for, but the members themselves were so interesting that. I've thoroughly enjoyed every single episode I've listened to of yours. So keep up the good work, man. Definitely appreciate it. That's the one thing with the podcast too is like it's funny. I reach out to people. I'm like, hey, I've got this podcast. Um, you know, blah blah blah, and and uh, would you like to come on? And and I've gotten so many yeses. Like it's so weird. Like people are just like, sure, why not? You know, I couldn't imagine if you call someone and say or message somebody like, hey, would you like to just talk on the phone for an hour? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. But 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 if I but if I preface it with with hey, I have this podcast. You know. Would you like to yeah. talk on the phone for an hour? Everybody's like, yeah, hell yeah, let's do it. But yeah, I mean, I've got a ton of ton of episodes in the books, you know, ready to go. I've got, you know, got to get Tuesdays cool. up and running. And uh, so it's getting to the point where I'm starting to think I might have to start doing two a week. So, <laughs> so I'll definitely take that. Oh, hey, man, you'll help me pass the time when I'm in the thrift store. <laughs> well, definitely, if you, know, if you come across anything cool, you got to let me know. And uh, oh, all that fun stuff. So uh, how can people find you on social media and just uh, where, you know, wherever they can find you and your uh, classes, things like that? Yeah, I'm not huge on Twitter, but I am at Tiki Pug, T-I-K-I-P-U-G. I collect Tiki's and I have three pugs. Uh, but it's easy to find me on Facebook. It's Facebook slash Tiki Pug. Um, and I have a fan page for Thrift Hunters, my TV show, for Thrifty Business with Jay and Nay, my current YouTube show. And I have a fan page and a group for the Thrifting Board where we help anyone, uh, you know, thrift. You post a picture of an item, you're stuck, you don't know what it is, you're at the thrift store. Within five minutes, somebody will tell you the whole history of it. All right, that was made from 1962 to 1973. They went out of business in 74. I mean, it's crazy the amount of knowledge that my group contains. Yeah, that's and awesome. So I, I love when people, even if you're just doing it for your personal self, 
I, you don't have to, you know, there's no rules. You don't have to buy it to sell it, but if you're a thrifter for yourself and like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Hey, my group will tell you. So you know, those are the places you can find me. And then when, when you're on any of those pages, if I'm traveling, doing a class or doing a speech, I always put them up, let people know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in uh, Massachusetts and Connecticut in two weeks, raising money for um, uh, the Wounded Warrior Project. My buddy does a fundraiser every year. Last year we did $63,000 in 18 hours. And we're shooting for a hundred thousand this year. So, very cool. If you find me on my page uh, before November twentieth, you will see where or how to donate. If you want to donate to Wounded Warrior, and uh, we do uh, we do an eighteen hour online broadcast of all things of online selling. We're giving away stuff, all kinds of cool prizes. So uh, we raise money and uh, have have fun all day on the internet. All right, man. Well, Jason, totally Smith. This was totally bad. <laughs> Thanks for coming oh, on the podcast, man. Oh, thank you for having me. This was great. I really appreciate it. All right, we'll definitely have to do a part two because I can talk for talk for days on this. So we'll we'll come back around. All right. For sure. And there you have it, Mister Jason T. Smith. Make sure to go check him out. Thrifty business with J and A. Check it out on YouTube. Also check out his thrifting board on Facebook. Go give him a like. Go tell him you heard about him on Talk to Me. Uh, thanks everyone who's been checking out the latest podcasts. Next Tuesday, we've got Steve from Skin Lab on the show. Wonderful conversation with Steve. Also, just thanks to everyone who's been listening to all the podcasts. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, help keep it going, it's paypal.me slash talk to me. That's paypal.me slash talk to me. Go over there and donate a couple bucks to the podcast. Keep it going strong. Thanks to everyone who's been donating. Thanks to everyone who's been listening. Make sure to share the podcast with your friends and family. And make sure to, if you're listening on iTunes, make sure to go rate or review the podcast, and that always helps out. And with this being episode 12, I originally thought of doing maybe a 12-old Negative Earth episode. Uh, that just didn't happen. So, so with that being said, I'm actually just going to play some old 12-old Negative Earth off of our Where Did All the Sunshine Go CD. This song is called Sunburn Dirt. Let's go, not the super dirt They come to take my soul Stripping my blood for some of What they've left now I'm mad Walking west, walking late Told me I know religion That was Russian Brothers Now it's mine You don't sit around and ask yourself What if the world could have been I like myself better like this Every day I'm forgiven Like a child who's had his door Taken and in a way I love to live without a voice and I never crawl Back to the wall to start again Give this thing one more chance My mother gone, just too far Still far so long, back Something in me wants to rip out Nation to let it go Now it's time to look back and account for all sins.
And once again, thanks to everybody who's been listening. Talk to me episode 12 is out of here. Talk to me episode 13 with Steve from Skin Lab will be next Tuesday. So until next Tuesday, I'll see you then. Have a great weekend, everybody. And happy Veterans Day, belated Veterans Day to everyone out there that has served in the military around the world and uh, helped keep our country free and allowing us to do all these wonderful things. So thanks to all the troops out there. If you're listening to the podcast and you're a troop, please hit me up at Talk To Me Talk. Let me know where in the world you're listening to the podcast. That's always great. So until next Tuesday, thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend.